All right, so did everyone get a little test blueprint? Did everyone get their little rhythm sheet? So I'll post the rhythm sheet on the website. Um, the way the rhythm sheet will work is you'll have three extra credit questions on the test that will be based on recognizing those rhythm strips. And they'll be that exact rhythm strip. So what I want everyone to do is take a look at the first one. Mm -hmm. Tell me what makes you think it's a normal sinus rhythm. All right, so the QRSs, there's equal distances, and there's a P before every QRS. And you don't know how to, how to read rate yet, but when you do, you'll find out that it's a normal rate. Um, the next one, remember how I told you that they kind of blend into one another? That's what atrial tachycardia looks like. It, one begins to blend into the next, but it's not just up and down waves. Then the next one, PVC. Point to the PVC. Okay, it looks like a torn QRS. It looks like someone took a regular QRS and went and ripped it in half and spread it out. So for the rest of your academic nursing career, you should always be able to pick out a PVC. Um, the next one is atrial fibrillation. And tell me the two ways that you know it's atrial fibrillation. There's really no P waves, just kind of like a little squiggle up and down. And what do you notice about the QRSs? Well, if you, they're different distances apart. The QRSs. All right, so for your bonus questions, Oh, and then there's one more which isn't on here. So what I want you to do is I want you to take on your page and go up, down, up, down, up, down, up, down. And what's that called? Ventricular tachycardia. Right, atrial tachycardia, the, the, the patterns are blending into each other, but you still see some little spikes, okay. whereas VTAC is just a smooth up and down curve. Like there wouldn't be any other curves like right. this? Right, it would just be straight up and down. Lovely. All right, so for your bonus questions, you'll have to recognize, not only will you have to know the rhythms, but you will also have to be able, or not only have to answer a question, but you'll also have to recognize the rhythm. So for example, for atrial kick, sorry, for atrial, for atrial fib, it might say, you know, it might, it'll give you a picture of the rhythm, and it'll say, this rhythm results in the loss of, you know, 30% of atrial kick. This is a normal rhythm. This is, and so it's not just saying, oh, that's atrial fibrillation, click, that's the right answer. You have to know the right thing about atrial fibrillation. Does that make sense? Okay. 30%? Yes. In atrial fibrillation, you lose 30% of atrial kick, but you didn't need me to say that because it's already on your podcast. 
So, um, what questions do you have for me? Do you understand the test blueprint? Don't worry about that. It's yeah. Don't worry about that. I know. Just, just don't worry about it. Yeah. Yeah. Real life is often slightly different than, you know, the ideal. All right. So, any? Sure. Yes. Right. So, so for example, if you take a look at um, cardiovascular, 15 questions on antihypertensive drugs, you can be pretty sure that most of the drugs I'm going to ask you about are on the most no drug list. Where are you? Taking a look at the, at the test blueprint. It doesn't say must no drugs. That's true. That's why she's asking. So here you've got a cardiac cell, all right? Now inside it is little myofibrils, little myosin heads, and that attaches to a tropomyosin with, remember all that? A and P, vaguely. All right, so there's little troponins in there. Now, what is an MI? Cell death because of ischemia. So I've got a lack of blood flow, so not enough oxygen is getting into here, and this cell dies. When it dies, it breaks open. Whatever's inside of it spills out. Some of it's going to spill out into the blood, and that something that lets us know that it's a heart cell and not some other kind of muscle is the troponin I or the, the troponin T. So the troponin is inside the cell? Yes. It's inside the cell until that cell dies during a heart attack. And then it comes out. <laughs> right. It's just, you can think of it this way. Um, how many of you have ever cooked? Okay. When you break an egg, <laughs> yeah, when you break an egg, that egg is no longer intact, right? But, you know, when you, you, know, you crack the egg and you do this, and then you put it back in the thing, and some of the egg drips on the counter. Okay, what we're measuring is what drips on the counter. And we're saying, is this, uh, is this a chicken egg, or is this some other kind of egg, based on what leaked, based on what leaked out of it. Okay. And what leaked out of it in this case is the troponin. Any other questions? Go over INR. Okay. All right. Okay. All right. What is this right here? Two lines like this. What would that represent? Two lines. Two lines. Well, they're red, so what would it represent? A blood vessel. All right, now, there are clotting factors on the inside, right? How many? 
Actually, there's more than 10. But there's, there's, there's a bunch of different clotting factors on the inside. Now, you don't want to clot until there's a break, right? Okay, now, when there's a break, some of the stuff from the outside cells are going to leak inside. And that's going to trigger the clotting cascade. So the, the substances from the outside that trigger it trigger it through the extrinsic pathway because they were outside the blood vessel. If the blood, ves if the blood vessel starts, or the blood starts clotting based on things only inside the blood, that's called intrinsic. Now, um, the intrinsic pathway is inhibited by heparin. And what else? Not warfarin. Lovenox. Now, how do we measure the intrinsic pathway? What lab test would we check? PTT. Now, technically it's called APTT, but everyone just calls it PTT. So what is PTT? It's measured in seconds. I mean, just what does it represent? What does it represent? Don't tell me the acronym. How fast it takes for blood to clot using this intrinsic pathway. Okay. Now, when we give heparin, are we wanting that number to go up or down? If you want them, to, if you want them to not clot, do you want them to clot faster or slower? And with slower, is the time going to be higher or lower? Higher. So what we want with heparin, okay. All right. Um, okay. Let's. Okay. Now, ordinarily, if you cut yourself, do you want to clot fast or slow? You want to clot fast, so you want that number to be high or low? low? You want it to be low normally. Now, you have a disease like a DVT. You're clotting when you shouldn't clot. Now, do you want to clot more or less? You want to clot less. So, do you want it to take more time or less time to clot? You want it to take more time. So, when we give heparin, we want the time to go up. Right. So the, the usual is about 30 seconds, 30, 35 seconds. And what we want to do is we want to get it up to like 60 to 80 seconds, which is about, about double. Okay. Now, extrinsic pathway is inhibited by what drug? Warfarin. And what's the lab test that we use to measure it? Okay, PT, but PT is measured in seconds and that's confusing, so instead we're gonna use INR. And INR stands for? Now tell me what the letters stand for. Or at least what the last one stands for. Ratio. Ratio. So if you divide, now let's say the ordinary PTT is 12. Now if you divide 12 by itself, which would be completely normal, that would be one. So normal clotting is 
an INR of 1. Now, let's say that we put you on warfarin. Do we want that number to go up or down? By and R, do we want it to go up or down? I hear one say up and one say down. What do we want it for the heparin? What do we want the PTT to do? So let's be consistent. They're both measuring the amount of time it takes to clot. So with INR, it should go up when you put the patient on warfarin. How high? Uh, two. At least two, but no more than three. three. Unless the patient is what kind of patient? Heart. What's the exception? Uh, mechanical, heart. mechanical heart valve. Then we want it to be 3.5 to 4.5. But for everyone else, anything above four is considered toxic. The mechanical heart valve is the only one who has that, high, that higher value. So if you have a, pa if you have a patient who's a me mechanical heart valve and he's got an INR of uh, 4.2, is that good or bad? 4.2? Yeah. The mechanical heart valve, INR of 4.2. Perfect. You, don't, you wouldn't adjust the dose at all. You've got a patient who's got a DVT or history of DVTs, and his INR is 4.2, what would you expect to happen? Okay. So what's our normal, what's, what's the, the therapeutic range for DVT? Two to three. His is 4.2. Right. So that, that's too high. You want to lower it. And the way you lower it is by lowering the dose. Right. It means they're going to bleed out. Now, right. So you have a you have a patient. You decrease it. And and here's an easy thing. Here's here's something that might help. You do the dosage in the direction you want the number to go. So if you want the number to go up, what do you do to the dosage? Increase it. If you want it to go down, what do you do to the dose? Decrease it or hold it. So. That's the same for heparin and for warfarin. Now, if it's really high, then what do we do for it? If it's so high that we think the patient might bleed to death before it comes down on its own. We can use vitamin K or... You tell me what vitamin K would do. How does, vi how does warfarin work? It inhibits vitamin K. So by giving more of it, you... you know, the clotting cascade, some of the clotting factors need vitamin K to be produced. And so warfarin prevents those from being produced as much. But if you give more vitamin K, your body will start producing them. Now, here's the thing. The person's on warfarin for a reason, right? And if you get vitamin K, you could take them to sub-therapeutic levels. You could actually cause them to have pro the opposite problem. So sometimes, you know, it's like, have you ever, um, you know, it looks like you're going to crash into someone, so you slam on the brakes, then you spin out of control, you overcompensate, and then you crash? Well, that's just as bad as crashing in the first place, right? Maybe. You still crashed. So you can do that. You can do that same thing to someone by giving them vitamin K sometimes. So rather than giving the antidote and overcorrecting, sometimes what they'll do is they'll give them clotting factors to just kind of 
let them get through that period. So they'll hold the dose and give clotting factors. Now, what blood, what blood, product, what blood products have clotting factors in them? Okay. Clotting factor, pooled clotting factors do, but that's really expensive. So is there something else we could use instead? I think someone said the, what? Fresh frozen plasma, FFP. What? Platelets have platelets. No, that well, it would help with clotting, but not for this patient. Because the problem isn't enough platelets, the problem is not enough clotting factors. So remember, clotting is controlled by two things. What are the two things? What are the two things that control clotting? One is clotting factors, and clotting factors have two pathways, the intrinsic, the extrinsic. But what's the other thing that controls it? Platelets. Now, when would we give platelets to a patient? If their platelets were low, and that would be called thrombocytopenia. All right. Okay. Any other questions about about that? Oh, by the way, there's there is something else you need to know. It's like in the first couple paragraphs of the of the intro to the chapter in the book, which I'm sure you all read. And I've asked you this on a number of tests now, and, pe and people still don't remember it, and heck, seniors don't remember it, so let's mention it now. Clotting factors, if you inhibit clotting factors, what would that be called? What would the therapy be called? Inhibit clotting factors. We call that anticoagulation. Anticoagulation is best for what kinds of disorders? Okay, DVTs, but what kind of disorder is that? Thrombotic. Well, it is thrombotic, but what part of the blood vessel? It's a vein. So, clotting factors, anticoagulants, best for veins. Now, you'll use them as an adjunct for a heart attack, but they're best for veins. And so, if we want to prophylax a patient for prophylax, if we want to give a patient prophylaxis, for DVTs, we would use anticoagulants. If we want to treat them for a DVT, we would use anticoagulants. If we wanted to treat them for um, atrial fibrillation, we would use anticoagulants. Now, platelets, on the other hand, when we inhibit platelets, we call that antiplatelet. And that's best for what kinds of disorders? Arterial. Now, what are the three arterial disorders that we're talking about? So, coronary artery disease, MIs, angina, strokes in the brain, and what's the other one? PAD, which is peripheral arterial disease. Now, why do we put them in that order? Because they're in the they're in the order of which a, at least an American adult is most likely to die. Most likely to die from CAD, <laughs> next comes stroke, and then comes peripheral arterial disease, which patient's not likely to die from that, just wish they were dead. So atherosclerosis. Actually, it's involved in all three. And strokes. Yes. All right, now, when does a person get a heart attack? 
what happens to make them get the heart attack? Okay, but how do they get that ischemia? Okay, it's not just a blockage. If it were just a blockage, that would be called angina pectoris. But how do we get a total blockage all of a sudden? How do we get that clot? When what breaks off? Okay, so, so when you've got an atherosclerotic plaque that breaks open, that's when you get the complicated lesion which causes a sudden clot and that's what causes the MI. That's what causes the MI. Yeah. Now, um, on your quiz three, there was a question where, I, I can't remember who it was, asks, well, no, it wasn't Betty Boop, that was anemia questions from last semester. Um, I think it might have been Mr. T. He says, the doctor says that I have unstable angina. How is that different from a heart attack? Did, do you have that question? Nope, they're both complete blockage. Nope, an MI is a heart attack. Ah, okay, so here we have this, here we have, here we have this clot that's unstable and it breaks open and that causes a big, a big clot. Now what do clots do the moment, what does a clot do the moment it forms? Only if it's in the middle of the blood vessel. But we, we said the moment a, cl a blood clot forms, it will begin to dissolve. It'll begin to break down. Think, think about it for a moment. How many of you have ever cut yourself and then gotten a scab? What does the scab do? It breaks off, right? And falls off. Same, same thing inside your blood vessels. The moment this clot is formed, it will begin to break up. Now, as soon as that happens, does your heart cells die that second? No. no. It takes how long before they actually begin to die? How long? Do you remember? 20 minutes. 20 minutes if, if they keep beating. But do all of them keep, keep beating normally? No. Some of them become stunned and some of them hibernate. Do you remember that? But of the ones that keep beating, you got about 20 minutes before they start dying. So if enough of this clot dissolves in that 20 minutes where some blood can start going through, it's not a heart attack. It's just unstable angina. How do you know the difference? They look exactly the same when the patient comes into you. How do you know the difference? Enzymes. CKMB and... Troponin. So if cells have died, troponin is going to be leaking out into the blood. And that's how you're going to know if it's a heart attack versus unstable angina. Does unstable angina cause Not by itself. Unstable, an un unstable angina is, oh, I got that pain. It hurts. Every, when, really, you come into the hospital, you've got unstable angina. Until we check your enzymes and you're positive, now you have an MI. If they're negative, you still have unstable angina. Okay, so the unstable angina, I'm sorry to be so disorganized, but I just want to clarify. You said that there's a blockage where you're pulling out some blood flow, right? Because there's no blood there. Right. But with an MI, it's blocked. They're both blocked. It's just a question of how quickly it reverses. Okay. Yeah. So like, I'm 
Right. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, people have heart attacks all the time, have zero treatment, and live to tell the story. Why? Because it breaks down the moment it starts, the moment it forms. And it's just a matter of how quickly it breaks down versus how quickly it forms. Some people, yeah. And then that goes back to your clotting factors. Because what's the first step in clotting? Platelets. What's the next step in clotting? Clotting factors. What's the third step? What's the, what's the final step there in the act making of a clot? The little thingies, what are they called? Phi, fibrin forms and connects the platelets together. So remember, platelets first hold hands. Then they call for help. The clotting factors come and activate. The clotting factors end up tying ropes called fibrin around the platelets to hold them together stronger. And then once that happens, what's the next step? As soon as that happens, well, as soon as that happens, then you have enzymes called thrombolytics come around and start cutting through those ropes. So when you treat a patient for an MI, one of the, if you catch them early, what can you give them that will reverse the whole thing? Well, aspirin will slow it down, but it doesn't reverse it. We talked about it just, just the other day. My question is, if we catch a heart attack early enough, TPA. All right, so let's write down the steps. Number one is platelets do what? Platelets do what? They hold hands. Now, what does... All right, now, number two is... Call for help, which is clotting activation. The clotting cascade activates. Then, the step three is... Fibrin ties up the platelets. Step four is thrombolysis, where you start cutting, thrombolysis, where you start breaking the fibrin. It's also called fibrinolysis. Right, so step four is breaking down step three. Now, which phase does aspirin attack? Aspirin attacks phase one. That's why it's the priority. It helps to prevent the whole thing from forming. So when a patient comes in with a heart attack, what's the first drug you need to think? Aspirin. All right, now, if we catch it early, what can we do that will reverse the whole thing? TPA, what is TPA? It's a thrombolytic. So what it does is it, it, it makes step four work faster which is breaking down the clot again. Streptokinase is another one. Streptokinase is cheaper, doesn't work quite as well. I mean, it works well, just not quite as well. You have to catch the patient even earlier, and it has more side effects. Nowadays, it seems that way. All right, any other questions about that?
right, now, now wait, you, you don't just indiscriminately give aspirin. You need a doctor's order. But if he gives you an order, he says, this patient's got an MI. I want you to put him on aspirin, O2, a nitrate, and heparin. Which is the first one you do? Which is the one where you don't pass go, you don't go to the bathroom, you don't hobnob with your friends, you aspirin. Less than two hours is usually the, any, and the sooner you can do it, the better. When the symptoms have started? Right. Af yeah, within two hours of symptoms. The problem is a lot of patients will, and just actually, Mon Mon uh, Monday my wife took the day off because she didn't get a Thanksgiving break. So Tuesday she goes into the office, one of her coworkers had had a heart attack at work the day before. And he just thought, he's like, yeah, I've got really bad indigestion. And, and so he called up one of, the, one of the nurses that he works with and says, you know, I think, I'm, I think I might go home a little bit early. And she goes, no, you need to go to the emergency room. And he's like, oh, no, it's not a big deal. And then it started radiating over to his left arm. And then eventually his wife made him go. But he worked for another four hours before he went. So in that case, it'd be too late probably to give TPA. So you'd give At that point, you'd give aspirin, oxygen, nitrates, Morphine, you know, beta blocker, ACE inhibitor, statin. Uh, he lived, I mean, but he's got a heart attack, you know. And, but I mean, it just goes to show that this is what happens. You know, you don't think you have a heart attack. You, you know, oh, it, it's an atypical presentation. It does, I don't have, you know. Um, tissue, plas uh, tissue plasminogen activator. Pla plasminogen turns into plasmin, and plasmin breaks up fibrin, if that helps you. <laughs> All right. Um, any other questions about that particular topic? Um, I would take a good hard look at the um, so you think you're good test, because I can guarantee you you have a few questions definitely come out of that. It's on it's on the website. Yeah. Now, while you're looking through that, I wanted to share something that uh, apparently some people found extremely helpful yesterday. Well, Sandy and Joe found it extremely helpful. Um, the question was, what's this partial compensation thing with an ABG? So, what are the what are the what are the four things that you look at? What are the four things that you look at in an ABG? Yeah. No, but what are the four values? So one is pH. pH. PaCO2. HCO3. And PaO2. All right, now, which are the two that tell us acid and base? So the PaCO2 and the bicarb. Now, if only one of them is, is abnormal, whether it's high or low, doesn't matter. If one of them is normal, then actually, so what you look at is the number. So if it's only one, you're going to uncompensated. If it's two, then you have to ask yourself another question. 
And that, and that question is, what is the pH? If the pH is normal, you have complete compensation. And if the pH is abnormal, abnormal, you have partial compensation. So they said that was very helpful. Yes, you have. Sandy, what do you do with PaO2? Aha. Uh -huh. So, how do we know a patient is in respiratory failure? What's the magic number we need to remember? 50. So, which numbers would be 50? P pH, PaCO2, bicarbon, PaO2. What, which one? All right. So, if the PaO2 is less than 50, that's called? It's called respiratory failure, but what kind? What would low oxygen in the blood be called? Hypoxia is in the tissue. So what would it be in the blood? What does it mean when there's low something in the blood? Hypoxemia. All right, so this would be called hypoxemic respiratory failure. Now, what's the other 50 that we should look at? CO2. So if PaCO2 is greater than 50, what would we call that? What's the term for high carbon dioxide in the blood? Acidosis. Well, it is a respiratory acidosis, but what is it called? Well, it's just, just high, high carbon dioxide. What's that called? Uh, hypercapnia. So it would be called hypercapnic respiratory failure. So the two things you have are PaCO2 and PaO2. Now, what would you do for a patient who's got the hypercapnic failure, respiratory failure? What would you do for them? Okay, I hear give them oxygen and I hear give them ventilation. Well, is giving them oxygen going to fix carbon dioxide problem? No. No. So what would you do for them? Make them breathe more. And how are we going to do that? Okay, we're going to bag them or we are going to put them on a... Luke, I am your father. A ventilator. All right, now, if the PaO2 is less than 50, what would that be called? Less than 50? If PaO2 is less than 50, what would that be called? Hypoxemic respiratory failure. And what are we going to do for that patient? Give them oxygen. Now, what are you going to do for a patient who has both? Oh, and what would that be called? What kind of failure? Mixed failure. And we're already doing... So you think you're good testing, you don't even know it. Hypoxemia is less than 50. Yeah. Hypercapnia is greater than 50. And if they have both, do what? If they have both, yeah. you do both. It's mixed. And if you have hypoxemia, you put them on a good monitor? Yes. If you, if you have both, you do both. If you have one, you don't necessarily have to do the other one. Sometimes they'll do both, but you don't have to do both. What? Hypoxemia is less than 50. 
hypoxemic failure. All right, there's two things we have to, to distinguish here. What's the normal value for PaO2? No, you're thinking SaO2. What's the difference between PaO2 and SaO2, first of all? Saturated. What would be saturated? So, no, oxygen isn't saturated. Something else. Hemoglobin is saturated with oxygen. That's, that's a whole different number. That has to be higher than like 94 or 95. Yeah, SpO2 or SaO2. What's the difference between SpO2 and SaO2? They're both oxygen saturation of hemoglobin, but what's the difference between an SA and an SP? Okay, SA is when you stick them and take out arterial blood, and SP is when you put the little, the little pulse socks on their finger. All right, so that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about PaO2, which is the partial pressure of oxygen. What's that's normal value? No, it's above something else. No, remember, saturation is different than pressure. We're talking about amounts of an actual gas dissolved in, in water. We're not talking about anything to do with hemoglobin. Okay, let me ask you this question. What's a D? Is a D failing? Yes, but is it as bad as an F? No, but you still won't... As, you know, what, what, would, what would normal be? A C, all right, so... If you're like, if you got a 60, that's still a C in terms of oxygen. Where do you want it to be above to pass? Keep going up. Oh, yes, greater than 80. So PaO2, normal value is greater than 80. So if you're between 80 and 50, that would be called hypoxemia. And if you're less than 50, that would be called hypoxemic respiratory failure. It's the difference between, like, with your kidneys, insufficiency versus failure, and failure versus end-stage renal disease. Yeah. Below 50 is hypoxemia, respiratory failure. Less than 50 is called Okay, all right. You guys have some issues. <laughs> if you can't just memorize values and label them, <laughs> you're, you're in real trouble. <laughs> so, so if the if the PaO2 is greater than 80, that's normal. If it's um, between 51 and 79, that's hypoxemia. And if it's less than 50, hypoxemic respiratory failure. Okay. So then, what would you do about it? You would give oxygen. Okay. That's wonderful. Okay. Um, any other questions? Joe, where's the, where's the thing? Far away, Arlo. All right. Let's see here. Can you, the first one is uh, knowledge of, of pathophysiology. Yeah, I knew yeah. that. Uh, what prolonged the amplified? What prolonged it? It's in the book. We did it last semester, actually. That's a very good question. So why don't you tell me? Okay, 
Osmotic pressure, what creates the osmotic pressure? Uh, albumin. Albumin or proteins in general? Okay, that's one. All right. Hydrostatic pressure. And the major thing in hydrostatic pressure that keeps the blood in the blood vessel is that you have high pressure on the artery side and then you have low on the venous side. So water will actually go out on the arterial side, but it will come back in on the venous side. So hydrostatic is high in arteries and low in... Low in venous. As long as they're balanced, you won't have edema. But if you increase the pressure on the venous side by, like, say, having um, varicose veins or by crossing the legs or putting a tourniquet, you're eventually going to get edema. Okay, that's two. That's two. Give me, give me a third. Concentration gradient. Okay, membrane permeability. It prevents those proteins from leaking out. Well, I mean, it's what, prov it's what keeps the osmotic pressure. Yes, it is one of the four. Being, meaning that the membrane is normally not permeable to proteins. And that keeps your osmotic pressure in. And then there's one more. It's what you said. There's one more you haven't done. Oh. One more. We have osmotic pressure, hydrostatic pressure, membrane permeability. No. Lymph drainage. And what? What's the problem? What's one of the most likely things to clog off lymph drainage? cancer tumors what's next <laughs> does anybody want to do an example of an ABG no no we can figure that out okay osmotic pressure from the protein Okay, ready? Let's do something from the new 